What's up? I go by the name of Steph Erko, and we are back with another episode of the Millennial Dungeon. How's everybody doing today? I know I had a great day. I had a great weekend. You know, happy belated Father's Day. You know, shout out to all the fathers that um, are in their children's lives, make, trying to be great role models as men, you know. So with that being said, we're going to get into the, on today's topic. So today's topic, we're going to talk about black men and reading because it's a serious topic that I feel like a lot of people try to brush under the rug especially for black young black men. So we have a guest on today, and he goes up by the name of Mr. Hafe. Mr. Hafe, how are you doing today, sir? I am well. I am well. Thank you for asking, good brother. That's wonderful. So for our audience, could you do me a favor and give like a quick bio to introduce who you are and what you do? Absolutely. No problem. Um, so one, I want to thank you for um, inviting me on to your podcast this evening. It's definitely a pleasure. Um, just hearing how you're supporting it, hearing your mission and your vision of how you're trying to align with the community and do things to uplift it. I think that we are definitely in partnership with our just mentality of just making sure our community is where it needs to be. Um, my Thank name you. is Eugene Haith. I am born and raised in the city of Philadelphia. All of my formal schooling has been done in public schools throughout the city of Philadelphia from elementary all the way up uh, through my college, you know, experience, master's, bachelor's, currently working on my doctorate and um, educational leadership as well, all within the city of Philadelphia. So I have ties to the city, um, not only professionally, but also, you know, personally, emotionally, like this is my heart. Uh, I currently work for the Mastery Network of Schools, um, particularly at Mastery Prep Elementary, which is located in North Philadelphia. Um, and my current position there is the Assistant Principal of Specialized Services. And what that entails is that just entails all things special education. I oversee a department um, of multiple case managers, social workers, paraprofessionals, learning support teachers, all geared towards ensuring that our students are learning, achieving, being provided with the appropriate level of support being successful, but in, on top of that, most importantly, just building the right mindset so they can navigate the world and the times that we live in today. Whew. Now put that on your resume. <laughs> Y'all hear that, man? My man ain't no joke. Well, um, I just want to say thank you for agreeing to be a guest because I feel as though like you're the perfect candidate to talk about the issue that we're facing today because like I said before, the topic we're going to be um, discussing about is Black men and reading. And the, re the reason why I feel like this is an important topic, especially in our community, is growing up, you really don't see a lot of men, especially young black boys, like um, treating reading as a, a top priority when it comes to education. Because like growing up, especially for me, most of the teachers I've had were women, which is a, a perfect thing. You know what I'm saying? I had great on female teachers, you know, but like I would sometimes I wish I had more like black positive role models as teachers as well. So I guess since you are an educator, so I guess a, a basic question I can just start you off with is how, what inspired you to get into education? Oh, wow. That is a great question, Steph. Um, actually, it wasn't my initial passion. Okay. I actually, um, when I first began my you know, college career, I, um, I played ball and that was my only focus. But I knew that I had to take up a major. So I actually majored in accounting when I was in for my bachelor's. 
But one thing that always stood out to me is I come from a family of educators. Like my mother um, was a teacher and administrator in the Philadelphia School District for over 30 plus years. My sister was a teacher administrator in the school district and now she's currently the CEO of, of a charter school um, in the city of Philadelphia as well. My sister. So I come from a family of educators. So it was just my passion. And then um, I was working in business for some time when I first got out of school. But then um, injuries, you know, life, health, things of that nature directed me and guided me to my life passion, which is, you know, education and working with our youth and just being, like, as you said, Steph, being a role model. But more importantly, building that mindset for our students that, you know, the individual that comes, you know, from the same circumstances, the same neighborhoods, went to the same schools, go to the same poppy stores as you, like they can achieve and, and, and you know, be successful to some degree because, you know, we're all striving. We have aspirations to do better. But I do think it, it provided a platform and a foundation for where I am today. Nice. That's that's a wonderful. You know, um, I did a little time on um, being an educator myself. I was in substitute teaching. I did after school teaching. So like I know like a little bit about um, being in the education field, but not, obviously not as much as you because that resume going for days. <laughs> Bro, You'd be surprised what you know, Steph. You'd be surprised. Hey, man, listen, I'm just trying to learn from the, um, the greats like you, man. So. <laughs> I, I think one of the um, things that I just wanted to like talk about when, especially when it comes to this topic is like when it comes to young black boys and stuff, like, like I said before, like, I feel like when it comes to reading and the education is not like taught as being one of the top priorities. Like I even use me as an example. Like I didn't, I used to hate reading as a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like when, like around the kids around my black, like reading was so, something that we didn't really value. You know what I'm saying? And I struggled in reading all the way till I was eight years old. Until, like, my grandma, she gave me a comic book. And she was like, read this, because <laughs> I was a little bad, you know, running around. She was like, stop running around my house. She gave me this comic book. I looked at the comic book. I'm like, oh, shoot, it's pictures and stuff. And it's reading. It's actually a story behind this. So I got into on comics. Then that gravitated toward graphic novels. Then that gravitated towards, like, little short um, um, stories like Goosebumps. I know you heard of that. So absolutely, little- absolutely. Yeah, by R.L. Stein. And like, that's what my love of reading came into. And it's like, it's kind of like a, a a bad thing, too, in a weird way, because like my love of reading started like look uh, cast me as an outcast on my block because I was a kid that would carry around like comic books and graphic novels on my block. And they'd be like, what, what you reading? Like, but you like Batman and Spider-Man and stuff like that. What is this like nerd stuff and stuff like that? You know, so it's like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, what uh, were you like? gravitated to a reading as an early age or was this something that wasn't seen as cool to be honest with you Steph, i had no choice oh <laughs> and i think that part of the circumstances that i dealt with may not be it's not common for a lot of you know young urban brothers such as yourself because like i said my mother was the teacher okay. so it was no way in the world that my mother was sitting in the classroom in front of 25 to 30 students and trying to uh, uh, impress upon them the urgency to learn how to read and being able to navigate text and being able to, you know, uh, you know, find contextual clues and cite textual evidence without her own child being able to do the same. So yeah. not saying that it was forced upon me, but it was forced upon me to some degree. But I have no reservations about it. Um, I love it. You know, um, you know. One thing that I always try to uplift with, with the just, you know, black people in general is that old adage that, you know, you want to hide something from a black person, you put it in the book. <laughs> so I'm always trying to debunk that theory 
when I speak with even my parents, when I'm speaking with other students, um, it's just the fact that we have to learn how to read because everything that we see on TV and everything that's on TV may not necessarily be the truth. There's always a spin, there's always an angle. So we have to be able to uncover what's going on ourselves and being able to come up with our own like lens or our own context of what's actually happening. So it was forced upon me. So one question to you, and this will lead into a larger conversation that we are about to have. You mm -hmm. said you just like reading growing up. Mm -hmm. But once you had a comic book put in front of you, that's when you began to make that connection and began to in increase like your love and your passion for reading. Why was that? I don't know, because like for me, like reading, because I, like I told you before, I always struggled with reading at an early age. Like, I mean, I remember first grade, they put me in like, you know, those separate courses, like the remedial classes where it's like. like it was, say, brother, that's tough in my heart because I'm special education. I probably was a special education class. Yeah. Some support, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was in, in, like I was one of seven kids in the, one of those classes. And I always mm -hmm. like felt outcasted too because all the other kids like ah he gotta go to that class because he he can't read or something like that but i feel like i gravitate more to comic books because one it had pictures obviously and two like comic books it was just like a story behind it when it comes to oh it's a villain you know and it's a good guy and it was like as a kid i was i was into like movies and stuff so it's like it was something simple that i could gravitate and understand the concept of like okay, main character. This is the bad guy. This is the story arc, and this is like, well, well, this is reading. So let me get into graphic novels to get more into stories. And this is like, it made me look at like certain characters because I one of the things I love about reading that I learned to love about it is not everything is black and white. You know what I'm saying? Oh. A lot of characters, especially like a lot of characters and people in real life. There is a lot of gray areas because nobody's all, all the way good. Nobody's all the way bad. And th that made me like attracted to like, I don't know, reading because it made me understand like human like nature is like, wow, like people are like deeper than what you put in text. You know, yeah. the surface. So. It's, it's open to your own interpret interpretation. You personalize those experiences that you read. And that's that's the love of reading. Right. You don't get that through any other avenue as far as like like any type of print or anything that's going to you know, and be a knowledge base for you. And the reason why I ask, I ask you that, uh, Steph, is because I think that's, that's part of, I think is at the heart of the disconnect with us Black folk reading and being exposed to that. I think it's just content is at the heart of part of the problem. I think we were trying to expose some of our kids to content that they necessarily can't relate to, can't understand, nor have any interest in. But as you said, hmm, pictures, you know, bad guy, good guy. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm urban. I'm from the hood. I can relate to that. <laughs> now that drew you in. Yeah. And to be make those liter, liter, literature connections as far as all right. So main character. There's a plot. There's a theme. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you begin to make that connection and begin to build your base of knowledge and fun and your foundation of reading. So I think that one. I think that just to use you as a prime example, like that's part of the disconnect with reading for us. For, for I think black folk is the fact that we aren't exposed to stuff that we want to read about, especially right. at an early age. Yeah, I remember uh, they were trying to get us to read like things like even at an early age, like on um, Romeo and Juliet or. It was like things like Jane Austen because we had a little school library too, and these like the books that was like presented in front of us, like Jane Austen, like William Shakespeare, which are, they're great writers and Absolutely. stuff like that. But it's like you said before, it's like come, as a black person, like coming from like the urban city, you know what I'm saying, inner city, 
that's not something we can't really relate to all like that. Like Jane Austen probably was a great writer back in the day, but I can't relate to her story. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so e- ease me into Shakespeare. Don't just throw me into the waters. Where they, you know, ease me in a little bit. Let me get to some of my own, the you know, background of my own information and where I come from, because I think that's also part of the issue as well. Like we don't know where we come from. We don't know the struggles of our, of, of our, our ancestors and those before us so we don't understand the importance of it we weren't allowed to read we were killed we were brutalized you know we were bucked for reading you know uh, hundreds of years ago so the importance of reading definitely definitely needs to become a mindset and a culture in two different phases not only just in school because we know the emphasis and the importance of school and i feel like that's a that's a conversation that we can talk about on another podcast because i think that it comes down to content in the school it comes down to resources in the school um but yeah. above and beyond that there's also a connection to the home that needs to be made with reading as well because it wasn't just for my mother's perspective of me make sure i go to school and read no when you come home from school you're going to read as well so it's reinforcing you know, everything that you're learning in school, that gets reinforced in the home. And I feel like sometimes, whether it's school, home, whatever the case may be, circumstances, life experiences, you know, that disconnect is prevalent, especially now because of the pandemic that we recently went through, you know, um, this just the nature and the state of our country as a whole right now. So right. I think exposing our students to the content getting them content that's applicable to them, something that's interesting to them, then as well, you know, up, uplifting why we don't want to read. It could have been some trauma that stuff was experienced that needed to be uplifted and, I, and addressed before we can put a book in front of them. Because I don't care if you put the greatest book in front of a person, if I'm dealing with things mentally, if I have experiences that, you know, will prevent me from really digging into this book, that needs to be addressed as well. And I don't think that's being addressed, especially especially sometimes in our school settings. I agree, 100%, sir. And can I ask you, how, um, how long did you spend in uh, education? Like, you're currently in education now, right? Now, actually, I've been in education for the past 17 years. My business 17. experiences, yeah, I'm, I'm a little old, but my business experience <laughs> was, when I was when I was a younger man. Okay. You know, I mean, fresh out of college, my early tw- early to mid twenties, but um, since like my thirties on up, and I, I'm not afraid. I'm 47. Like I've been in the education field since then. Okay, that's not a problem. Cause for my next question, cause I told you I did um did a few years in education myself, substitute teaching and uh, after school teaching with little kids and stuff. And like, you know, I it's funny cause they you know the saying like it starts in a home. Like when I was younger, I didn't really understand that saying until I actually started working around with kids because a lot of kids, it's like you said, we learn different because not a lot of content is presented to us that, that we can relate to. Right. And, you know, and one of the certain things I've seen when it comes to teaching, especially like our black youth and something like that, especially young black men, it, it's, it's kind of different trying to get them to gravitate towards certain learning things, especially when it comes to learning new books. And one of my questions I have for you is like, what, did you ever see like a significant difference between teaching like young black men versus teaching other students in your school? I mean, to be fully honest with you, Steph, my trajectory, my experiences, my professional career has truly been within an urban environment. So I've basically dealt with black and brown boys through my entire like schooling, educator experience from a teacher to uh, a like climate manager to now currently assistant principals all been with urban students so i don't really have the other lens or the other context from from the other side to have okay. that experience to even speak on that okay 
Yeah, that's, I just thought I asked too because like I even asked one of my friends that she was actually a guest on here like not too long ago and she was a teacher too, and I asked her like like because well, she's a teacher now and like does she see any differences between teaching like black students like especially young black men versus other students because she's probably goes through like a very like diverse school and she says not really but yeah. like she says like one of the things she she does see is like. I feel like she said she um thinks that parents in the household of like our black youth, like we need to start pushing like more reading in the household. Like you said, like when they come home or like where other like I feel like other races, I feel like they kind of push that more onto them, the education where I feel like we don't like push that more onto our youth, like in the household, like after school, because a lot yeah. of us, like when we think of school, we think, of, oh, OK, this is where I go home to get where I go to get education. I come home. I don't got to learn nothing else. Like, I just got focused on TV, eating, go to bed. You know what I'm saying? So, that's, that's well, what I one, one thing that I did want to color is stuff is I can't speak to the experiences, but I can definitely most certainly speak to the data. And data mm -hmm. shows that exactly what it is that you're showing that, you know, our white counterparts that are in, uh, you know, um, in different school districts, they do perform well. They do have a, a higher level of reading than, you know, our black and brown students. And that's problematic. And that's problematic at a high degree because you know that, um, you know, and I'm not a proponent of schooling because I have friends, you know, that didn't go to college that, you know, make more money than me. So it's not about the schooling, but I think it goes back to the, my initial piece, what I spoke about. It's just the exposure. Like, we need to get kids exposure to the learning. And I think that, you know, our white counterparts have that exposure, whether it's, and I don't want to get into a parent thing where, you know, white parents may be better than black parents because that's not the case at all. Right, but I right. do think it becomes a culture and a mindset in, in certain homes, whereas reading is emphasized, reading is pushed. I know I was a part of a program once called Deer, Drop Everything and Read. Whereas um, it, it happened in a school setting where and at a certain point every day, regardless if you were dropping off waters, if you were the mailman, if you were a parent coming in you know, to the front office, once that time hit, everyone in the school dropped everything and they read. And then we tried to mimic that into the home. But we found the alignment of the structure wasn't the same because of the moral sometimes the value, the mindset behind reading the education. And don't get me wrong, I know our black and brown parents want our kids to succeed, but sometimes we have to lead our parents down this path as well so we can guide and show them how we can go about achieving success and results for our kids as well. So I do think it's, it's, it's a bigger problem, a bigger problem, but it can be addressed. Yeah. But it has to be addressed in a strategic manner, but it can't be addressed in pockets or silos there has to be some level of alignment and communication between all moving pieces, community, home, and also the school. Until we get that alignment, then we're always going to have these lagging reading skills um, to some degree because the mindset of reading is not being pushed in all three phases, which it needs to be. And that brings up a good question, too, because I agree with you, everything you just said, which is perfect. And it's what, how you feel about when it comes to like using slang, like, you know how people use um you hear somebody at their job um speak like talk proper like that versus like when they get on the street like yo man what's up what's popping up so how you feel about on slang do you think it's like something like that you can use like uh, like uh, I guess a temporary thing or all the situational thing or it's like slang I feel like you think it's something that we need to like guide our youth into not always using how you feel I mean <laughs> it's funny you <laughs> ask that question because. I 
I talk slang every day. Yeah, I do too. You know, um, and you know, you know what I'm saying? This conversation, you know what I'm saying, could be completely different if we wanted to turn the table. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, we could go there if we needed to go there. You know what I'm talking about? But at the end of the day, like, I think there's more of a cultural thing and yeah. how we connect with each other. There's nothing wrong with that because no. that's our language. So that's how we speak to each other. But, but then we also have to understand that, you know, their, their presentation is everything. Right, you right. Know, so, you know, and, you know, I'm saying and what I'm talking about isn't always necessarily respected in certain settings. Mm-hmm. In certain settings, it is accepted and highly regarded. So it's kind of like that code switching thing that they always yeah. talk about where you know how to just navigate certain spaces in certain areas. It may seem corny to some degree, but, you know, for us as black men, especially, we have to know how to code switch so we can navigate, you know, walking down our own in our own neighborhood, but being able to sit, you know, at a boardroom with, you know, with our white counterparts and being able to have a conversation with them as well. So we have to, it's a time and place for everything. Right. I agree hundred percent because it's times when I walk out, like I'm with my friends or playing balls, like, yo, what's poppin', dog? You crazy. Like, but yeah. if I go to like my job or something like that, hey, how you doing, Mary? Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, so it's like, like you said before, it's a time and place for everything. I, I couldn't agree hundred percent. So, I guess one of my next question is because I feel like I seen like a little a difference because like it's like you said before like sometimes you feel like it hits us not only starting at home but also in our community when it comes to like teaching uh, like value and like our reading within our children you know and also adults as well so right. one of my next questions is do you think like more schools need to make certain reading programs made for black um children or black boys in general? When you say may make reading programs for black boys, what do you mean by that? Like, you know, because there's certain programs that are designed for, like, a certain group or, like, a certain minority. Like, I think it, I've seen, like, little certain, like, things that are, uh, it's more, like, educational things designed for black um little girls. I've seen, like, in my school growing up. No, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think that, one, can a targeted approach work? Absolutely. But I, I think it also goes back to what David was talking about, about, you know, lowering the bar. Because I'm a black boy, okay, let me give you a first grade reading book, knowing that you're in fifth or sixth grade, just, you know, so that I can give you a book to read. So I think it goes back to, you know, necessarily lowering the bar and just increasing our expectations. Black and brown folk, we can do this. We've been doing it. Right. We just have to find a way to pull the coattails of others that aren't and bring them to where we are. And that's the problem. That's where we need to go. And it's not only the work of black and brown folk, it's the work of our white allies as well. Because let's be honest, those are the ones that are in front of our students every day. For whatever reason the case may be, that's a whole nother podcast, a whole nother yeah. conversation. So we have to be reflective of that and take that into consideration as well when we began to think about um, this like reading in our black boys and how we can uplift and increase the impact of that in the community. But I do think it's a holistic approach that needs to be taken in order to do so. But I don't think it's, it is a daunting task, but I also think that it's definitely feasible. We just have to have the correct mindset around the work to get it done. Right. I agree. I agree with you. And like, I remember like um, growing up and so my whole life, I've been to predominantly black schools, you know? So when I went to college, it was predominantly a white school. So I, I was one of the only um, um black male English majors in my whole department. I think I was the only one for the first three years of my college experience. So like if we was to talk about a certain novel that we was reading for an assignment and I was to say something like real smart about it, people look at me like, <gasps> Did he just say that? Like, like, and this is like, 
it makes it like look at you like, damn, like or you're not expected to know this or you're not expected to be knowledgeable about certain reading things. So we're in the bar. Right, exactly. It's raising the bar because they're they're thinking that we're going we're all the way down here when you never know. We all the way at the top. We can never like you know. said, we can learn this stuff. You know, we just gotta start um, lowering the bar for ourselves. So I guess like one of my next questions is like, do you think like as black you we get intimidated when we're around other races when it comes to educational spaces? Spaces, I mean, sorry. I would I would have to say yes to a certain degree. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking lens back to like my my similar my um my college experience was similar to yours, uh, Steph, in regards to uh, K through 12, urban, black school, city of Philadelphia, West Southwest region, boom, 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 boom. But then I went to a predominantly white school, and that's when I began to see, like, okay, um, there's a world outside of West and Southwest Philadelphia. <laughs> And if I want to be successful, I need to make sure that I know how to navigate this space. Right. So I, I say all that to say, you know, um, did I feel intimidated? I wouldn't say intimidated, but I was conscious because I didn't want to come off as the in the middle of a philosophy class or a, a, a you know a creative writing class. You know what I'm saying? When I'm talking, you know, right? Like it's a time and place for everything. So that motivated me to dig in my books even more, okay? And and like I said, a lot of this comes from intrinsic motivation, values, your culture, everything that was instilled in you. You're not gonna make fun of me in class. Right. You're not gonna look down on me because I'm black. Like I'm, a, I'm about six five, so that intimidation factor, the big black man walking into the room right. already casts a shadow over me. But when I begin to speak, you'll understand exactly where I'm coming from. So you won't be able to label me that with that particular stereotype. So I think it's about a mindset. And then also the motivation of the individual just to want to do better. But just, no, I didn't necessarily feel any intimidation, but I was conscious of it, especially knowing that where I was coming from and where I wanted to go just as a black man. Yeah, I feel like I was the same way, too, in a lot of my classes, too, because I feel like if I was to raise my hand and say a certain thing, like, I feel like the pressure was on because if I was, I made sure, like, I watched what I say because I didn't want to be the stereotypical black person that's talk, talking with slang, but also at the same time, I didn't feel like toning down my blackness just to make you feel comfortable. So, like, like you said exactly. before, just being conscious of like on what I say and how I present myself in that certain setting is very important, especially if you're the only minority around, you know? And, so, and then I'll, I'll layer it even deeper. I played basketball in a predominantly white college. So they always thought you was the dumb jock, but then they said, oh, accounting major. And then I was academic All-American with a 3.8 and accountants 3.7. I don't want to em- embellish it too much, but a 3.7 <laughs> Then it became, oh, you know what? Maybe, you know. He might know something. Maybe he belongs at the table. Which <laughs> I already knew I did. But, you know, sometimes you just have to prove yourself. But not only to our white counterparts, but also to our black and brown folk as well. It's constantly in a state of just trying to prove yourself, proving your worth, proving you belong to sit at the table with certain individuals. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. You know, and it's, it's true, too, because it's just like, I feel like you just got to watch what you say in certain settings, but it's, it goes back to the whole coding thing. You know, I feel like yeah. we do as black people, we do that every day, whether we are um, going to like the store, hanging out with our friends or we going to a, uh, a job. So it's just like just watching what you say, but also not trying to 
lose who you are deep inside, you know? Yeah, and that's the biggest thing with watching what you say, because like you said, I don't want to tone down my blackness. Like, I'm yeah. a proud black man. I won't, won't, wouldn't have it any other way. Right. So I think that one, but also don't think that on the flip side that, you know, our white counterparts aren't, you know, thinking about their language, how they speak, and maybe, you know, toning it down for the sake of this conversation as well. Mm -hmm. I'm quite sure that they have a, 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 um, a way that they communicate with each other, whether it be the certain words that they may say, or like, like we say, you know what I'm saying, they may have something that they say that equates to that. So I'm quite sure that they feel that on their end as well. Right. But I just think it's more heightened just as a black man, just because of, you know, where we come from, you know, where we've been and ultimately where we are trying to go. But, you know, the fight is still, you know, the fight is still ongoing. Exactly. <laughs> the marathon continues. Nipsey Hustle boys, man. <laughs> it's the infinite but, uh, marathon. I call it an infinite marathon. Infinite marathon. True that. True that. I might get that tatted. Say no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, so you said you um had 17 years in the education field, right? Yep. So one of the next questions I had was, as a black educator, did you ever feel as a black man you were obligated to like gravitate or try to be a mentor to any of the black young black boys in your classrooms? Or did it matter you wanted to be a mentor to just about anybody? No, I think you always, just being a black man, you always naturally like this, the human, human nature for you to gravitate towards the black boys. So I always had an affinity like to help, support, you know, understand, motivate. But through my work, I try to like multiply my impact through, you know, everybody. Um, nobody gets left, no child left behind. Um, it's imperative of that. But of course, I try to, you know, my approach with, my black girls and my black boys is totally different, I would say. But I, you know, try to you know let them know that I'm there for them, um, and you know try to stress the importance of not just education, but just being like a solid individual, upstanding, you know, trustworthy and honorable. But as far as just navigating towards one, I would say the intrinsic human nature in me, yes. But um, just in regards to the work that I'm doing, I would say it's it would be across, you know, everybody. Okay. That, yeah, that's great. I wish I had, like, on um, growing up, like, in uh, inner city schools, I wish I had, like, more, like, black black educators like you because I think I only, growing up, I only had two black teachers, like, um, from K to 12th grade, only two. That's, that was and that's our, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, it was one um, math teacher, and it was uh, another one was, like, a social studies teacher. Other than that, it, I only had two black male teachers. Like positive one, so it's just great to like see what you you've done and like being the mission that you're trying to accomplish is like trying to teach our youth and mentor our youth. Right. So, well, uh, can I also ask like, who are some role models that you that inspired you? Like, did you have any like strong like role models that you looked up to? That's a great question. I think that um, growing up, it was always like my mother and my uncle were my role models growing up. Uh, yeah. But I think that once I got into the educational field, I began to like gravitate towards like strong black men who were leaders in the field, um, who were strong educators that had a passion for the work, had a passion for the kids, had a passion for the parents in the community. So I want to say like my mentors, my mentors and role models have been more or less along the lines when I when I've been older, as opposed to when I was younger, specifically for this work. Like I can think of maybe two principles or two leaders that I've worked with that, you know, have left resonating memories in my 
of how I should work and how I should approach this work. So I would say my mentors and those my role models were identified a little later on in my life as opposed to early on in regards to what you were saying. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah, like like I said before, I, um, I wish we just had like more role models like you in like the school system, especially like our inner cities. And I'll, it was another question I had earlier. I should have asked earlier when it came up with the slang. And when you see, when you know how people would be sending little texts or like little messages saying like, what is you doing or where you at or what, what you've been through, you know what I'm saying? But they misspell it. But I know it's just like, we understand it through slang. But like, how do you feel about that? Like, do you um, think that's like kind of damaging when it comes to like us um, talking about language or do you think it's just a slang thing? No, I Can think it's more along just expectations, man. I don't, I don't like look down on anybody that has a typo in a text message or anything like that. Now, email that's something different because you want to make sure that because the email comes across as more more professional communication, you know. But in regards to like text messages, I don't, I take that with a grain of salt, man. I don't, I don't, you know, dwell too much on that in regards to appropriate language because, like I said, I might text WID. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are you not a r e y o u, but just literally are and you. So I do it too. So <laughs> I don't, I, I can't trip over that, especially if I, you know, I'm ingrained in, you know, the same behaviors as well. It wouldn't be fair. So no, non judgmental. You know, it is what it is. But, you know, I want to hear how you talk. I want to engage in conversation with you. So that really begins to uplift, like, you know, your communication style and your, the effectiveness of your communication as well. Okay, I, I agree with that. You know, like it's like what we talked about earlier. It's all who you're talking about. Like it's all about your setting. So, I can agree with that. Um, I guess one of the last questions I have is because, like I said, I used to be like an educator for a little while. <laughs> Mind you, a little while. So it's like I, I guess I was just going in there fresh because, like, it's just so many people that were just telling me like, "Hey, you should be in education because, like, you probably good with kids." And I was like, "Nah." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But people, but it was something that I was just, you know what, I'm gonna try it out because I was fresh out of college, trying to look for jobs and stuff like that. So it's just like I was just learning fresh, you know what I'm saying? I was just jumping right in. So it's like I guess like anybody who's listening to this in the audience, like who wants to get into teaching, especially if you're a, a male teacher going to inner city, like do you have any techniques or like any advice to give them? Yeah, you gotta have a passion for the work. Like you gotta, it's work. Um, you know, you got to care, you know, you have to invest um, because everything is not always about a reading level. Like I said before, we want to uncover like trauma. What are your experiences? What is it going through? I can relate. I want to relate. I want to listen. I'm here for you. Right. So, um, you know, I think that those are all the things that need to be encompassed because you can learn how to teach. Like you can be coached on how to teach, but if you don't have the passion for the work, the resiliency, the patience, and the understanding to know the dynamic of, you know, whom you're instructing and where they're coming from. And, you know, some kids may not have ate last night or they may have heard them, heard them, you know, mother and her significant other arguing all night. Like you have to have that resiliency and, and just that wherewithal to understand that, but not use it as, a detriment or to boost your own internal ego, but use that as a motivation to drive your work. They want to make you go through a wall for that young man, just because you know the circumstances and what that young person is dealing with. Nice. Yeah, I I agree. Like, like I said, I wish I had like that advice, like going in there, like, 
because I never really loved teaching. But when I got in there, I learned a lot of things from teaching. But it's like, like you said, you need to have a passion for it. And that wasn't really my my true passion because I always loved to write. But um, teaching was never one of my my greatest passions. So it's just like I went in there like, dang, this is like harder than I thought. Yeah, so, it, 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 it takes a lot, man, to be a teacher, to be in the school, especially to be effective. Like you can sit in front of kids every day, but are you really achieving? Are you making the difference? Are they learning? Can they read back to our topic? Like, you know, are you, are, you know, are your kids really like meeting the mark? So you can sign up for the, are you in it for the paycheck? Or are you truly about this work? Right. And I think that, you know, that's why, you know, education is a field where people don't stay more than two to three years just because of the work that it encompasses. But if you see the light at the end of the rainbow, i.e. black and brown boys and girls progressing, achieving, being productive citizens, then, you know, your, your work didn't go in vain. Nice. Yeah, I agree. And like, okay. But that's all the questions I had, but like I wanted to let you talk. Like, is there anything else you wanted to say or like uh, any advice that you have for anybody in our um audience or the youth? I mean, no, I think we covered it all. I do think that you know, just speaking to the public in general, we need more black educators in this field. So, yeah. you know, we want to make a difference. I know we also we always think about social justice and being an activist, but never from the educational lens. And as a black man, you can definitely be an activist you know, and pr promote social justice just from being in front of our black and brown kids, being that role model that you were talking about, you know, leading to their experiences, showing that, you know, I come from where you come from, yeah. experiences, but we can get out, we can do this. So I think that's the biggest thing I just want to impress upon is that we need more black male leaders, teachers in education above and beyond behavior support, deans, NTAs, like we need educators, we need teachers, we need leaders in this work, uh, especially for kids that look, you know, that look and sound and talk just like we do. Right. Has to I be a passion though. You gotta love this work. You gotta love who you're dealing with. You gotta, you know, gotta have the internal fortitude to get this job done. So I would say, and I'll leave on this note, if if you don't possess that, then I wouldn't, you know, encourage you to get into this line of work. But if you do have the wherewithal to be, you know, to make change and, you know, just to see our kids succeed, then definitely, definitely, because we need more black and brown brothers and sisters in this work that we're doing here. I agree a thousand percent, you know, there's like black, like educators like to um, teach like young black children and young black and brown children, like, like give them the, like the, the the guideline, you know, <laughs> so it's a set. Yeah, because I can say, you know what I'm saying, what I'm talking about, but then I can also go hit the Shakespeare, like, at two Brute. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> Finding that balance is key. But it's doable. You got to have the passion and the wherewithal. And it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. There you have it, audience. You heard them. You got to put that work in. Yeah, but always. With anything you do. Yeah. So, Mr. Hayden, I, I thank you so much for being our guest for the day. I really appreciate it. I feel like a voice like yours needed to be heard, you know, especially for our young boys, young boys and girls out there. So thank you for being our guest for this episode. So. Oh, no problem. I appreciate y'all bringing me on. I love, love sharing our, my experiences, my just, you know, just my mind, my brain, pick it whenever you want. But definitely, definitely um, appreciative of you bringing me on and being able to just, you know, have a conversation with you as well. Thank you. No problem.
And there you have it, audience. Um, I want to thank Mr. Hay for coming on. I want to thank our audience for tuning in and being unloyal and tuning in every um weekend to like see what's um happening and staying tuned to what's going on in our society. Right. And I go by the name of Steph Erko, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Millennium Dungeon. Peace. Yeah, 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 yeah. Erko. Erko.